Crosby lost control of it, taken to the boards, but comes away with the puck. Great pass, Chris Letang, and that shot went off McDonough's skate wide. Crosby, Letang, Kessel scores! Deflected in front, and Sidney Crosby has the game-winning goal! It is Thursday, the last day of March 2016, and Don, I don't know if we've ever recorded on on a Thursday, Thursday. Hmm. like the we part of the podcast, Right. but uh, we should mention that we are going to sort of adjust the schedule for a while. Yeah, this might be the new normal. Yeah, for at least a while, we're going to record uh, the non-interview segments of the podcast on Thursdays. And then publish the podcast around six or seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah, I don't think that part's Thursdays. gonna I don't think to the listener it'll be that much different. If anything, it might be a tiny bit improved because there won't be what we're dated saying information, yeah. Will be a day or two days more relevant. More more recent, right. Yeah. Uh we just made a little adjustment. We're gonna try it this way. We've been doing Tuesdays since the beginning. Um and just in the interest of trying to improve, we're gonna try this for a bit and see how it goes. But uh, today uh, is Season 6, Episode 10, so it took us six seasons and ten episodes to experiment, uh, <laughs> but we're here, and we have interviews today with Ryan Aber. We met Ryan in November or December of 2015 when the Oklahoma Sooners uh, qualified for the college football Final Four, so to speak, uh, the college football playoffs, and he rejoins us today uh, on the eve-ish of the Oklahoma Sooners uh, competing in the college basketball Final Four for the first time since 2002. Also on the podcast today, Matt Crossman uh, joins us. Matt makes his sixth appearance. He's been on for years. We met him when he was a writer for Sporting News. Uh, And now he's totally a freelance guy uh, working on many different projects. And he reached out to me and said he had a couple of articles he wanted to plug uh, and we'll have some fun with power rankings as well, uh, which is his gimmick on Twitter. Uh, if you follow Matt, I think he's at Matt Crossman underscore. Uh, he often publishes power rankings. Sweet. So we prepared some ahead of time, and we also have a power ranking speed round where he is forced to rank on the spot without knowing the categories ahead of time. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, also on the show today, Busy Book Club, uh, three projects I want to talk to you about there. Uh, we'll finish, as we always do, with one last thing, and we'll get going today uh, with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> All right, as I mentioned, uh, the NCAA basketball tournament is down to four. Uh, Let's start with that, Don. Did you watch any of the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 action last weekend? 
I don't. Not enough to remember. There wasn't the very teams. many great games. Nothing all that dramatic. A uh, couple of chokes. Virginia choked against Syracuse, Syracuse yeah. and let them finish with like a twenty to four run mm-hmm. uh, for Syracuse to earn their place in the Final Four as a ten seed. The first team since Steph Curry and Davidson made the Final Four as a ten seed. They'll play North Carolina, who I gotta think is the favorite going into the weekend. They're the only number one seed remaining. Uh, they play the second game on Saturday, which starts, I think, 50 minutes or 30 minutes after uh, number two Oklahoma and number two Villanova uh, play. That tips off at 6:09. Uh, the games are on TBS this year. Okay. Uh, not CBS, um, and. If you don't want to watch the national broadcast, you can actually watch on True TV or on TNT, depending on which team, a like a team-centric broadcast. So you could watch like a Sooners home team broadcast on one of those channels, which I think is, is pretty cool. Uh, obviously, Buddy Heald is the story for Oklahoma. We'll talk more about him with Ryan Aber. Uh Oklahoma will have to, as a shooting team, uh, this is being played in a dome now, uh, moving away from the traditional basketball arenas uh, to a dome setting uh, where shooting is traditionally much more difficult. And this specific venue, which has hosted a Final Four and a regional final, uh, has statistically proven to be a difficult place to shoot. Uh, So that will be a challenge for Oklahoma. Uh, Like I said, I think the Tar Heels are the favorites. Uh, going into the weekend, it's kind of their championship to win or lose uh, to a lot of degrees. Uh, Buddy Heald right now, I believe, has the highest point per game average in the tournament in many, many years, if not ever. Wow. I don't have the exact stat in front of me. So he'll try to stay hot. And uh, I think those are the big stories. And then, of course, also uh, the cloud of potential academic scandal uh, with Syracuse and North Carolina. Is this a banner that ultimately, uh, for one of those two teams, we're talking about being taken away <laughs> down the road, which Don and I always mock. It means a lot yeah, to the players in the NBA and the players that want it. Yeah. So uh, that's the final four, and that will play this weekend. I also wanted to mention the NCAA hockey tournament. It's also down to four. Uh, they'll take off next week. Uh, they don't go against the basketball tournament when they're down to four, they'll wait an extra week where they'll play in Tampa. Uh, the second Frozen Four down in Tampa. Uh, and it will feature a really, really stacked uh, field of four. Uh, the Denver Pioneers uh, will face off against the North Dakota Sioux. The North Dakota Sioux have a senior class who has lost one game in the regionals. And that was to Yale in 2013. Wow. They have made three straight Frozen Fours, but zero championships. So certainly a motivated North Dakota team. Uh, the seniors playing in their third Frozen Four, trying to win one. Uh, they will play Denver, who is in the Frozen Four for the first time since winning back-to-back championships. Uh, the last team to do it in the early 2000s. Uh, and then on the other side, number one overall seed, Quinnipiac, uh, makes their second Frozen Four since 2013. And they will play uh, Boston College, who has won like four of the last eight of these. Yeah. So it is a stacked field uh, of great hockey in two weeks, and we'll probably talk more about that next week. 
but I thought I'd mention it. Anything, Don, you want to mention about the NCAA hockey or basketball? No. All right, second thing today. Did you hear this, Don? Carly Lloyd, Hope Solo, are among five female soccer players who filed a wage complaint I did, against yeah. U.S. soccer. Yep. Um, so Yahoo.com has this story, among other places, but a few quotes uh, from this story. Uh, the five leading stars of the United States women's national team announced Thursday on NBC's Today show that they filed a complaint against the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against USA Soccer claiming wage discrimination relative to the men's national team. I think the timing is right, co-captain and reigning world player of the year Carly Lloyd told Matt Lauer on the show. I think that we've proven our worth over the years. Just coming off a World Cup win, the pay disparity between the men and women is just too large, and we want to continue to fight. Now, okay, I get that. And I get, like, if I go into an office setting, a woman should make exactly what I make in the same position. That said, um, women's golfers aren't doing this because they don't make any money. Like they don't, they don't bring in any money. And I guess that would be the question here. Success has nothing to do with it. It should, I suppose, but that doesn't, success doesn't equal eyeballs. Do you want some numbers? Yeah, if you got them, that, that's okay. what I was going to ask for. Uh, the players point to a vast disparity in performance bonuses. Uh, indeed, the men's team received a shared $2.5 million just for reaching the World Cup. Right. The women, for winning the entire thing, got $1.8 million. Okay. A similar ga- gap exists in all other bonuses as well. The men sometimes collect 10 times more for winning a friendly than the women do. However, it is more complex than that. The, me- the women, unlike the men, also draw a full-time salary from the Federation of up to 72000 not including up to hundreds of thousands in bonuses they typically collect, a baseline guarantee the men don't enjoy. They're also com- compensated by the Federation for participating in the National Women's Soccer League. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want to sound threatened by this, but threatened by women's sports or anything like that, but the WNBA... Couldn't those women make the same argument that there's a huge wage gap between... And they're actually owned by the NBA also, aren't they? But the difference there, and I would say... I would wonder if it plays in here. Uh, A lot of times, sports salaries are as large as they are because it's simply just the players receiving a percentage of revenues. That's what I was going to say. Right? So if women's soccer doesn't... And I don't know if this is the case or not. Yeah, that's what I don't know either. women's soccer doesn't generate as much revenue... Right. As men's soccer does, the women shouldn't expect to get a bigger percentage of said revenue. I wouldn't expect that either. That said... But I I don't know if that's the case or not. So I think it should be looked at. I imagine as far as any women's sport goes, I mean, they're as popular as any women's team in the world arguably is. So, yeah, I get that. But if they're still playing to stadiums comparable to what the WNBA plays, I mean... You could, it just success has nothing to do with it. Uh, I mean, according to Danny Page, who's at Danny Page on Twitter, I don't know who he is or what his source is. He says that in 2017, the USWN, USWNT will pull in more than $8 million than the USMNT. Now, that doesn't surprise me because the women are the stars here. Yes. The men are a bunch of jabrones. They can barely qualify for the World Cup. The goalie is the one you know from the men's team. Yeah, and that and was the one year. Jabrones. Right. No, I. If that's the case, then they, they have a beef for sure. 
Yeah, I say go win it. Yep. I don't know. I have no love for the U.S. men's soccer team. I think they're an overrated group of underachieving bums. Uh, the men, uh, the women's team has achieved at the highest levels of the sport. Yeah, and I don't want to sound like I'm siding with the men's team. What I all I was saying, I was have no idea su- what success the right side has, is. Success has nothing to do with how much you get right. paid, and and gender doesn't shouldn't necessarily either. It should simply be uh, a percentage of the revenues, and they should be yes. comparable. Yep. And if the women earn more, then they should earn more simply because. It should be based on a percentage of revenues. Right. I think hockey is what? Like the players make 51% of the revenue or something. That was the one collective bargaining agreement. If that's what the women want and they're making more and money, that's then they'll make thing more money. I would say to the women is this is something that absolutely can be collectively bargained. So don't play when the next collective bargaining agreement expires. Yep. Uh, and uh, get yourself a better deal. But we'll see. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one last thing for today. The um, 2016 Masterson Trophy nominees were announced this week, and it's caused a bit of a stir. Uh, let's tell, let me tell you how this is done, Don. The Professional Hockey Writers Association announces each chapter's nominees for the trophy, which means the members of the Buffalo chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association right. gets to nominate the Sabres nominee, right. uh, as does in Minnesota or... New York or Anaheim. Doesn't matter what team, uh, the writers in that area get to nominate who they think should win the award. Do you have the criteria for the award? Uh, the cri- I'll look it up if you don't. Um, is this the award that Rob Ray has been nominated for, or maybe even won in the past? Is this like for being. Yeah, it's for dedication to the game on the ice, uh, perseverance off the ice. Uh, that's the general gist of it. I'm sure you can find like on the, uh, the wiki for it. Uh, a, a more specific example. Um, here's some players who were nominated, Don. Max Domi, a rookie for Arizona, plays with type 2 diabetes. Okay, I do have the NHL. All right, you want to give that first? Sure. Yeah. Um, the Bill Masterson, this is from NHL.com, their page on the award. Uh, the Bill Masterson Trophy is an annual award under the trusteeship of the Professional Hockey Writers Association is given to the National Hockey League player who best exemplifies the quality of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. That's it. Okay. So Arizona went with Max Domi for his fight with uh, diabetes. Uh, Carolina, name we recognize, Nathan Gerby. Uh, We have superstars nominated. The Dallas Stars nominated Jamie Benn. Okay. The Panthers Yarmer Yager. Uh, it's a mix. Young guys, veterans, yeah, superstars, lesser-known players. If you go back, the award was... It's usually someone that's gone through something really rough. It's been Devin Dubnik, Dominic Moore, Josh Harding, Max Pacioretty. I think those are all guys that came back from pretty nasty injuries. Uh, Dominic Moore lost to his, his wife. wife. Yep, right. His so it's guys that go through stuff like that typically. And the Sabres nominated? Dubnik, uh, the year before, he bounced around with three organizations and only, almost lost his role as an NHL goaltender. The following season, he becomes a Vezina finalist. Okay, so his is more about just Honest. the perseverance yeah. part. Sure. So there's a, a there's a wide range, as I demonstrated from the nominees. Now, the Sabres chapter, the Buffalo chapter of the Hockey Writers Association nominated Ryan O'Reilly. And here's uh, their blurb on why. Uh, each day after the team's workout is complete, O'Reilly stays on the ice and leads many of his teammates in more skill drills, pylons, sticks, and other barriers 
fill the ice as the pucks fly, often for another 35 to 40 minutes. Only when O'Reilly is satisfied with the progress do the others call it a day. Um, so this would be very on ice. Now, the problem, if you believe there is one, um, we're not telling you what to believe, is that Ryan O'Reilly over the summer drove drunk, ran his truck into a Tim Hortons, and fled the scene. Right. Uh, the legal proceedings of that case are adjourned to the summer, uh, so thusly are kind of still hanging over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was nominated, friends of ours like Greg Wachinski uh, and others in the national media criticized the local media uh, for nominating O'Reilly in this circumstance. Um, so, I don't know how I feel about it. I think it was short-sighted of the Buffalo writers. Who should they have nominated? Sure, I guess. Ryan O'Reilly is a a fine choice, but maybe not this year. Maybe you yeah. wait until that is. And as for who you nominate, who cares? Just anybody else. Yeah. Brian Gianta, maybe. You know, your captain and maybe his last season in the league. Sure. You know, uh, maybe you nominate him. Uh, maybe you nominate. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm too much of a homer to have too much hate for this but I get it and he's not going to win anyway like it's going to go to somebody like I said with either it's going to go to like someone like Yammer Yager who's just doing it on the ice as an old man essentially or to someone that's dealing with something on like off the ice or someone that's come back through something real like the perseverance part of this I guess is probably the part that they're struggling with the sportsmanship and dedication to hockey I think O'Reilly fits those descriptions from everything I've heard if there's ever been a, a sports writer who needs to back away from Twitter, it might be Mike Harrington. <laughs> we like Mike. He comes on here. He debates with us. He's a good guy. He engages. But the, the... he just, he is a Twitter troll. And yeah. he annoys people. And when the, he, when something like this happens to him, he or when, he, when him and the Buffalo Raiders make this decision, they open themselves up to this from the national media. And he called out uh, Travis Yost on yeah. Twitter, who I think is a – I don't know exactly. i got to have to read his bio. He's, he's a kind local of an, guy. He's an advanced stats guy. Yeah. I think he's local, but I don't know if – he must not have had a vote in this or he, if he did. He's nerdy. I don't think he's local. Oh, he's not? I don't think so. He's got a lot of say, like Buffalo stuff oh, on maybe his then. profile. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who he – I mean, I know he's – Oh, he's on TSN. He's an advanced stats kind of a guy. Okay. So he kind of criticized, or he was talking, I believe the whole Twitter battle with him and Harrington started because Travis Yost was just talking on TV, probably criticizing the Buffalo media. So that- uh, it started with Wyshynski. Okay. As soon as it was, pretty much as soon as this was announced, uh, Wyshynski was all over um, the Buffalo writers on the Puck Daddy blog. And Travis Yost uh, was on WGR Today. Blasting okay, the decision. so that's where Harrington got yeah. on about yep. Yost because I mean he eventually he essentially called him out and was like, "Well, here's a guy that thinks he's an expert on everything again." So and Yost, he is a TSN hockey analytics writer contributing to TSN.com and providing in-depth analysis on TSN Radio. Uh, he uses advanced stats, Corsi. Well, you know the stats. Yeah, uh, he's a regular contributor to Ottawa Citizen. Uh, he, the sporting news, hockey buzz. So he's a, he's an internet writer. Sure. Who you know, I like him. I mean, is into I follow advanced him. stats. Yeah. Yeah. But 
I don't know where I stand on it. I wouldn't. I think it was a mistake to nominate Ryan O'Reilly this year, but I don't have any particular venom towards the nomination. Either. Yeah, and the, the thing Harrington kind of said is like, I'm there at practice every single day. We're, or maybe he was. That's why they vote, right? Maybe that's the collective we part. We are there every single day. Yeah, and I mean. It, he does point out it is not the comeback player of the year award, even though that's what kind of people misunderstand it as. I, I could see both sides of it. If I wasn't a fan of the Sabers, I probably wouldn't like it. So, that's probably the angle I would take on it. All right, that is it for that. We're gonna let's do Ryan Aber first. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Ryan Aber. We'll talk about Oklahoma basketball and the Final Four. Uh, Don and I will be back for a book club. Then we'll do Matt Crossman, and we'll finish it off with one last thing. Our next guest is from Oklahoma City. And he is a graduate of, where did you go again? Northeastern State. Northeastern State, yeah. Everybody wants to call it North, Northeastern Oklahoma State. There's no <laughs> Oklahoma in it, but it is in Tahlequah. Uh, he covers Oklahoma football and basketball for the Oklahoman, and he's been doing so since 2006. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Ryan Aber. What's up, Ryan? Oh, not a whole lot. Just enjoying that music. Uh, that that's probably my favorite uh, favorite song off of uh, the uh, most recent album. Yeah, I love that. Did you see when the they're doing some media and there's there's like a scene and I don't remember exactly where it was where Eddie plays that song for Judd Apatow in like this old junky car. And yes, they, it, oh. it was in. Uh, was it in PJ Twenty? No, I think it's after or, that. Oh no! Yeah, I guess it was after that. But, yeah, yeah I, I remember what you're what you're talking about. It's fantastic. Yeah, oh, it's such an awesome like little scene. I think it was in like this little documentary they put up on the website. Yeah, I think that's for right. the album. But um, yeah, that's a good one. My actually, my last Pearl Jam show. I've been to seventy eight, and the the one that I that I last went to, and this is the longest gap I've had in a long time. It's going to end in a few days, but um, was the Oklahoma City show. In 2013, oh, yeah? yeah, that was my last show. Nice. So, That's, but I'm, uh, I'm going to try. I've been to a couple since then, but yeah, no, I didn't go to that one tour in 2014. Was really weird, uh, no, and nothing worked out date wise or city wise. And then um, in 2015, I was gonna go to the the show in New York, the festival thing, the one. Day. Oh yeah, but um, I just. Didn't end up going. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, but, looking forward to Wrigley uh, this summer. Yeah, I'm going to Fenway because I went to Wrigley last time. So I'm going to go to Fenway, and I'm doing the two shows in Toronto, and I might do one of the MSG shows. So, that would be nice. It'd be yeah. nice to uh, do a couple on this tour, but unfortunately, only uh, only Wrigley for me this year. But I'll take that. Yeah, well, I've been saving up so because I haven't been since 2013, <laughs> so I got an actual little, actual bit of leeway, and plus they're spread out nice. I, you know, and yeah. the, the two Toronto's are basically like going at home. Like I'm just gonna yeah. commute back and forth to them. It's only about an 80 minute drive door to door. Okay. So you know, those are just like get up that day, leave, see the show, come home, 
do that two days in a row. You know, then I'll probably go to one of the MSG shows. And then um, at the end of the summer, then, you know, I get to do get to do the that'll uh, be nice. Yeah. So anyway, we have business <laughs> outside of that. And that business is just like last time we had you on the Oklahoma Sooners find themselves in the final four. Uh, this time in basketball. Last time it was football, and this right. time it's basketball. And I think the first thing I want to know uh, for someone who's not in the Oklahoma City or Oklahoma area is how does the buzz in the community compare for a Final Four in basketball as it did for the playoff game in football? I wouldn't say it's quite at the same level because clearly this is a, a football school over a basketball school. It's football state over a basketball state, but uh, as the season has gone on, even during the regular season and, and certainly in the NCAA tournament, things have gotten amped up. Uh, you know, they, they sold out most of, most of their games from the conference schedule. They uh, were able to stay here and play their first two games of the NCAA tournament in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And uh, people are fired up about this team. And, uh, you know, I, I know we're probably going to talk about them a lot, but Buddy Heald and the way that not only he plays, but the way he relates to people, the way he uh, presents himself, uh, makes it so much easier to really fall in love with this team. And Lon Kruger and those same qualities that, that he has uh, make it easier as well. So uh, those two have been fantastic ambassadors, not only for Oklahoma basketball, but just for the sport in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about Buddy a lot this week, and I've been thinking about Hollis Price, and, um, you know, he took us to a Final Four, Hollis, and then an Elite Eight, which unfortunately that run got derailed by Syracuse. Um, And, you know, I just thought about Hollis and his smile and how endearing he was and how easy he was to root for, and it's a lot of the same qualities that Buddy has. But Buddy is a better player, a much better player. And I wonder if you think... What has to happen this week for us to pretty much, if anything, might be a lock already, but what has to happen for us to say we're saying goodbye after this tournament to the best basketball player to play for Oklahoma? Well, I don't think that's quite achievable because I think Wayman Tisdale uh, pretty well has a lock on that. Really? Even uh, with the national championship? Yeah, I, I think that just because of the... the uh, uh, what he did from the time he arrived on campus to the time he left, the the records that he set, uh, the you know people loved Wayman Tisdale from the time that he arrived in Norman to the time he left and uh, until the time he died, and he he is the most beloved figure in Oklahoma basketball history. Hmm. But we we were actually talking about this this week is uh, buddy number two, and I think it's pretty clear that he is. I mean, you mentioned Hollis Price. Hollis certainly had a lot of the, the uh, personality traits that Buddy Heald does, but wasn't quite the player. And then you mentioned, you know, Blake Griffin, who had, uh, while he was charming at times, he's certainly a guy that uh, he only you know, played two fans years. on other teams don't exactly take to a lot. Right, he only and, played two uh, years. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that it's uh, Wayman Tisdale won regardless of what happens this week. But uh, Buddy Heald, to me, is a pretty clear number two. Interesting. That's really interesting. I guess I didn't have the, not being there, I don't have the perspective of just how 
popular Tisdale is. I know how great he was, but I guess the popularity part of it. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely uh, his his popularity endures, and that that smile that everybody talks about and sees with Buddy is uh, sort of the same thing that drew people to Wayman Tisdale. Now, we know that Oklahoma had a lot of success against Villanova this year in the regular season, obviously, in Hawaii. That's eons ago now at this point, though. Um, Both teams have been through ups and downs and uh, their respective runs in the tournament. I still think Villanova did us a favor. I wasn't all that excited about a third game against Kansas. I know the players might have been excited about it. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, Tell me what you think about the matchup. This tournament... It's so much about matchups a lot of the times, and I think that Oklahoma got a dream bracket in that sense. And um, uh, and then even better, the teams that won the games opposite of them uh, would ultimately face them. I think it just uh, was really a smooth path um, to some degree. Uh, not that Oregon wasn't a really good team. They were. Uh, but uh, what do you think about this matchup, uh, Villanova? Yeah, yeah I, I think, first of all, I think you're right about uh, Villanova doing Oklahoma a favor, uh, beating the Jayhawks because a- as much as the players wanted another shot at Kansas, the matchup to me yeah, uh, just wasn't there for them. And then, uh, you know, you talk about Villanova, that game in December was a long time ago. It wasn't, you know, Villanova, I believe was 432 from behind the three point line in that game. Buddy Heald didn't have a, an efficient game at all, but was able to score eight, 18 points. These teams are, are so different. Villanova's doing so much more on the inside offensively than they were at that time when they just uh, sort of chucked up three after three and hoped that they went in. That's not this Villanova team. So I, I really think that this game is going to come down to whether Oklahoma is able to defend on the interior against the Wildcats. So you really think Latin then is an important figure in this game? Yeah, I, I think Kadeem Latin is... Yeah, yeah, I think Kadeem Latin is a, a really important piece yeah. for this team pretty much in every game, Yeah, but uh, especially in this one. Yeah, you know, um, one thing that made people skeptical uh, going into the tournament at Oklahoma was the dependence on the jump shot. I was never quite as worried about that as others because I always figured that one of the three three-point shooters would find a way. And it's sort of been that way in this tournament. We've seen a game where Cousins went off. We've seen a game where Woodard went off. And, of course... Buddy has had his moments as well. Um, the thing that scared me really was the bench. I mean, it's a great thing that we have this team that started 104 games together, the exact same players, but it also speaks maybe to there not being much behind it. Uh, but I've been pleasantly surprised in the tournament. Talk a little bit about uh, how uh, the coaches have used the bench and what has happened in the tournament uh, to allow them to get more production and to balance the team out a little bit deeper than the six or seven guys that I was used to during the regular season. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing has been the development of uh, the, the, the Christian James, the, the freshman who can do a little bit of everything. You can use him outside, you can use him inside, he can hit the three, and he can also defend uh, not the fives, but he can defend a power forward if he needs to. And and then uh, Jamani McNeese has really come on strong uh, here over the last couple of weeks. He's not going to score a lot. He's probably not going to score at all in most cases, but he's able to defend, give them some quality minutes, and let Spangler and Latin uh, get a little bit of a rest 
and uh, that can also allows them to to fight through foul trouble a little bit. Where before, if Latin or Spangler got in foul trouble, this team was just done. And uh, I've also got to mention a Colda Manyang in that he's uh, away from the team and and probably, uh, barring some crazy change, won't be back for the Final Four. But the job he did against Cal State Bakersfield in the first round was incredible for a guy who hadn't really contributed a whole lot to this point to come out and completely change that game. I know it's hard to say that uh, they weren't going to win when they were a two seed over 15, but that game was not going the way that Oklahoma needed to until Man Yang came into the game, yeah. and he completely shut down Bakersfield Center. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big turning point. You could feel just a little bit of tension in the beginning and a little bit of coldness, and it did loosen up at that point. Um, yeah, another no thing I was worried about uh, is sometimes I've thought that the team hasn't done a good job in the middle of the games, that other teams have found a way to adjust. I thought that at times other teams have come out of timeouts more prepared than us. But it really seems like in the tournament, Oklahoma, especially last weekend, they'd get ahead, and I would be waiting for the other team to make a run or waiting for Oklahoma to let down, and it just never happened. And I think that that has been a great job by the coaches in the tournament. What do you think about that so far? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the the biggest thing is you mentioned adjustments. They've been able to adjust when other teams have made a little bit of a push. They haven't been able to, to fully you know, blow past the Sooners like some of the teams did late in the regular season, Texas, uh, you know, Kansas State. A couple others, excuse me, there at the end. But uh, I thought Lon Kruger has been fantastic in this tournament with some of the things that he's done, the adjustments that he's made against DCU. He he had the the two bigs, Latin and Spangler, uh, break out to the wings, and the, he knew VCU's big guys were going to chase him out there because of the threat of Latin hitting the mid range jumper of Spangler hitting a three. And that really opened things up in the second half of that game for uh, Oklahoma's Jordan Woodard, for Buddy Heald to get to the rim and make things happen without worrying about their shots getting blocked. Against Oregon, I thought he did a really good job of putting in a press break that uh, led to some very quick baskets, got the Ducks out of that uh, that defense, and uh, made the game much more free-flowing, much more to what Oklahoma wanted to do in that game. Yeah, yeah, he's been he's been he has been fantastic in this tournament. Uh have you had a chance to talk to the players at all about how they feel about shooting in the dome? Um it's obviously it's going to switch from arenas to a dome and we've seen shooting teams um struggle to adjust to that sometimes. You think that that's a factor and are the players thinking about it at all? Yeah, we we asked a couple of the guys yesterday about it. They sort of brushed it off and said, "Well, it's no big deal." We just got to adjust to it. But I think it's something that you really can't appreciate until you get down there and start shooting in it, what the difference is in the background, the depth perception, everything that goes into playing not only in a dome, but also you're playing on a stage, you're elevated. It's just a completely different feel from every other game, not only in the NCAA tournament, but these guys' career. So it'll certainly be something to keep an eye on. The good thing is Villanova does uh, shoot up their their share of threes as well. Although, uh, like I said earlier, they don't rely on it uh, late in the season to the degree that Oklahoma does. Right. You know, I don't like that stage stuff at all, and I can't believe that 
they let that happen to that Louisville kid, and they they're still doing this. I don't know. Yeah, it's not uh, not an ideal uh, college basketball environment. I understand why they do it to get as many fans in there as possible to do something different, but I I would much rather see it played in just a, a really big basketball arena. And there's plenty of them. There's big arenas. I mean, how big is the? What do you get in basketball in the United Center? You know, let's do a Final Four there. I mean, that's a massive arena. They got twenty two thousand yeah. for hockey in there. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. just different, but it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime no, soon. I mean, they haven't sure gone doesn't. to uh, since the mid nineties to a, to a basketball arena. The sportscasters are here with uh, Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. He's at r y a b e r, and of course, you can find his work uh, for the Oklahoman and uh, on newsok.com is there as well. Um, real quick, let's finish up with a couple quick things. Uh, let's say things go well for Oklahoma and they beat Villanova because this is a two game, uh, proposition, hopefully for them. Uh, obviously Syracuse, I think would be a great matchup. I don't think a team playing a two, three zone is, uh, I don't think that's an ideal way to defend Oklahoma at all. (laughs) Um, uh, they did, Syracuse did do a great job getting back into the game with the press and we've seen Oklahoma struggle with that against, West Virginia this year. Um, but I would think that's a fantastic matchup. I think we'd probably agree about that. How do you think Oklahoma would match up with North Carolina in a championship game? North Carolina would be a little bit tougher just because they have the athletes to match up with Oklahoma, unlike pretty much any other team that the, the Sooners have played this year. And they can do so many things on the interior offensively, which at times has given the Sooners problems. And you would imagine that they would be uh, a better defensive team on the interior as well because one of the big things of this run during the NCAA tournament has been getting Kadeem Latin going offensively early in games, and that's made teams adjust and uh, change the way that they're defending the Sooners and open things up out on the the, uh, perimeter. Not sure that they would be able to do that against North Carolina. That's a, a really tough matchup, but it'd be really interesting to see uh, Roy Williams and Lon Kruger, North Carolina and the Sooners go head-to-head, but I don't think there's any doubt what you said about Syracuse is right. The zone teams have been, uh, have, haven't been much of a struggle for the Sooners this year. Baylor had runs a zone. Oklahoma was able to shoot them out of it. If Scott Drew changes from a zone, uh, you know something's really wrong with what's going on in the game. And then uh, a couple of the other teams have, have tried to use zone at times against the Sooners, and they've been able to shoot them out of it. Yeah, it's not going to work. Uh, let's end with a Ryan Aber question. You know, I was thinking about this. You get to cover a team like Oklahoma in basketball. Uh, it's a big program, but it's not it's not a massively intense as it is for football. Um, no doubt about and that. And then you get to the get to the tournament and I'm sure the coverage builds and builds. And now you're at a final four where it is the biggest event in the sport. How does that change your job? What will you be doing differently? Will you be looking for um, your relationships and your familiarity with the team to be able to find you uh, some interesting angles to write about that maybe would elude a national writer who's not around the team uh, what's kind of your strategy going into covering this, um, the Final Four, that maybe is different from how you usually cover the team? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. You you look for for what you know, what you've been around, 
throughout, uh, you know, really for me, it's been the last three years being around this program and, and these players and uh, be able to advance story angles where, you know, I know that most national riders are going to cling on to Buddy Heald. They're going to write about him, his backstory, all of that, because uh, in a lot of cases, those stories haven't been told on the wide national audience. I feel like we've written them a lot. We right. find, have to find different angles. Same thing with Kadeem Latin and his grandfather, David Latin. That's going to be touched on a lot this week. We've written about that, not only this tournament, but last tournament. So we're going to try to find different angles to write about Kadeem Latin. And then those other guys, you know, Isaiah Cousins, I wrote about today, about his experience last year, you know, getting shot when yeah. he went uh, back home and how he's rebounded from that. And uh, just, you know, trying to find the stories that, that other people on a wide basis aren't going to tell or trying to tell those stories that people are telling in a different way because of those relationships. Do you have a prediction for the weekend? What's your feel? I, you know, I, I think Oklahoma is going to win this game. It's going to be really tight. I think it's going to go down to the wire. That's something that the Sooners haven't had in a long time. But uh, I think the way that Buddy Heald's playing, elevating his game, the way that Lon Kruger has been able to adjust recently, I think mean, those those things uh, went out and get the Sooners to Monday night against. My guess is it's going to be against North Carolina. Right. Well, I'd love for it to be Syracuse. Man, I'd do a dance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as with a lot of Sooners fans. <laughs> Ryan is uh, a guy on Twitter. You can find him there, at R-Y-Y-A-B-E-R. Find some stories on NewsOK.com. Anything else you want to plug while you're here? Uh, no, just check out NewsOK.com all uh, all week, and we'll be having some, some great OU content, not only by me, but uh, Barry Trammell and Jenny Carlson, our, our columnists as well, have a lot of fun stuff planned for the rest of the week. All right, thanks, Ryan. Go Sooners. Absolutely. Appreciate it. That's a really trippy one. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere out there, one of our fans crosses their sports love over with their nerdy Final Fantasy love, and they dig that we use that. Uh, thanks to Ryan Aber for being on the podcast today. Uh, book club update. Three things I want to talk about. Uh, first, I want to plug something outside of the book club. Jim Florentine uh, is a guy who's been really good to us. Um, and he has a new release that's available on April 1st. This week it's called I'm Your Savior. And it's a one-man show that he did in 2007. You can get it via digital download on jimflorentine.com for 5 bucks with the uh, discount code Florentine. It's seventy seven ninety five normal. If you type in Florentine, uh, when you purchase it, you can get it for five bucks, uh, or you can buy a two disc set, which is a DVD version of it and uh, a CD audio version of uh, his two thousand and seven uh, one man show called "I Am Your Savior." So uh, Jim's been out there plugging that, and he is going to be on in the next few weeks. Oh, sweet! Uh, to plug his gig. In Buffalo. So, in advance of that, I told him that we would mention this today. Cool. As it comes out on April 1st. Uh, also, next week on the podcast uh, will be, for the first time, a former Grantland writer, Jonathan Abrams, uh, who is the author of a new book called Boys Among Men, 
how the prep to pro generation redefined the NBA and sparked a basketball revolution. Uh, Bill Simmons has often joked that they would publish a Jonathan Abrams article on Grantland and then enjoy the praise. That he was just one of these guys that would put his shit out and it was just loved. Okay. One of the more famous things he wrote at Grantland is he did an oral history of the brawl in the stands of the palace in Auburn Hills. Uh, Ron Artest went up into the crowd. And oh, was, yeah. Yeah, he did an oral history of that, which was super popular on Grantland. Really good, too. Uh, but I really recommend his book, Boys, Around, uh, Boys Among Men. I know he worked really hard on it. And he'll be with us next week, Season 6, Episode 11, to talk about that. Also this week uh, being released is a book that we have uh, been waiting years for, really. Uh, The Arm, Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports uh, by Jeff Passan. Uh, John Smoltz, who's a former guest of the show, says this is the most important baseball book in years, and I tend to agree with him. Uh, I said... Before, I think this has a chance to be the 21st century version of Moneyball. Moneyball yeah. You know, a book about a seemingly mundane topic uh, that it's just so important and so it's going to change the game so much that everyone's going to have read this book in and around baseball in the next three years. So, And we've been talking about it with Jeff really every step of the way as he's worked on it. And uh, he'll be in soon. Um, to do hopefully, you know, the interview for this book. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been reading it. I've been taking notes. I mean, I it's important to me to do a really good interview with uh, Jeff for it. Ours will arguably be the most in-depth. Probably one of the, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. a lot of people are going to sit 30, 45 yeah, minutes. as much as he wants, really. Uh, a quote from Jane Levy about the book. The Iron Makes It Official, Jeff Passan is the best young baseball writer in America. This searing, meticulously reported account of the orthopedic revolution that began with Tommy John is must-reading for every manager, general manager, pitcher, and most especially, every parent whose child has 100-mile-per-hour dreams. Wow. That's that's high praise. We've uh, said in the past that we've gotten guests because of the fact that we've had Jane Levy. Yeah, absolutely. So that's high praise from her. JimFlorentine.com for I'm Your Savior, a one-man show. You can get the digital download for 5 bucks with pre-sale code Florentine, or you can get the two-disc set, which includes a DVD and an audio compact disc. Uh, Boys Among Men, How the Prep to Pro Generation Redefined the NBA and Sparked a Basketball Revolution by Jonathan Abrams. He'll join us next week. And, of course, the arm inside the million-dollar mystery of the most valuable commodity in sports. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back with Matt Crossman. All right, our next guest lives in Charlotte. He's a graduate of Central Michigan University. Uh, he's a freelance writer and has pieces really all over the place. Wherever words are, this guy writes them there. He's making his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Matt Crossman. What's going on, Matt? 
Hey, you know, when that uh, the intro music started with all the drums, I thought you were uh, hooking me up with a, a Neil Peart drum solo. That, <laughs> that would, maybe that would have been better. <laughs> Are you a big Central Michigan guy? You go back uh, often? Do you? Yes and no. I yeah. mean, I, I, I couldn't name a player on the football team. I couldn't name a player on the basketball team. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know anything about the the school in terms of sports now, but I'm uh, extremely glad that I went there. It was a great journalism program, and I keep up with going on with with what's going on with the school. But you know, you're not going to see me crying if they lose a, a basketball game in the MAC tournament <laughs> because I wouldn't even know that they played. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely proud of that of that period of my life, and glad that I I chose to go there. Well, if you ever are in Buffalo for a heated UB Central Michigan game, let me know. I will join you. Yeah, there's not a very high chance of that happening. First of all, because there's not going to be any. Would there really be a heated game between, no offense to Buffalo and no offense to my alma mater, but uh, heated uh, football, Buffalo, those words don't go together. They do not. They do not. They try. They try, but they just... I don't. I think the minimum you need to stay D one is fifteen thousand attendance, and I know they lie about it to stay D one. Oh yeah, I uh, actually I. Uh, oh, I, at one point I was talking, uh, you know, sort of mentoring a little bit some central journalists, and they had done an investigation into that and found, yeah, the, there might have been some thumbs on the scale when it came to uh, attendance in order to keep, uh, you know, keep that that record going. Now that was years ago, and the school has since grown substantially so i don't think they have problems anymore but at some point the, the local pa- the school paper was investigating that and finding some untoward stuff it was pretty interesting yeah well we uh had i think we originally met you, you were writing for sporting news we talked to you a bit there and since you've been kind of just doing bleacher report and um where else have i seen you sb long form charlotte magazine and you got a couple of pieces today you're promoting one is going to be in the Southwest magazine, which is in the airline, like in the in the seat pocket in front of you, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, that's my my second airline. My first for Southwest. I had one for American Airlines back in December. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I always like when I pick that up and there's something worthwhile to read in there, which is maybe yeah, every, they, every they, they work. I can tell you, they work very hard to find good stories. Yeah, very hard to get in there. I like Southwest too. That's one of my favorite airlines for sure. Uh, big presence in Buffalo. And also, <laughs> also he is promoting a piece that's going to be on NASCAR.com this week. Uh, let's start with that because I read that earlier today. You sent me uh, some clippings of that one. And I wasn't familiar with either of the drivers, um, but it didn't matter because it really wasn't about the star power of the guys or anything like that. It was just a really, uh, you know, a typical a human interest piece and really – I don't know if I want to say a tragedy, but certainly elements of tragedy, and then at the end maybe some, some, uh, some happiness. Why don't you give us just a quick overview of it, and then I have some questions too. Sure. Well, the uh, there there are two main characters. Uh, one uh, whom longtime NASCAR fans will remember the name. Uh, that's Shane Meal, who's uh, uh, was a driver in the early two thousands. Uh, got kicked out of NASCAR for. Uh, being a pothead and a cokehead, which he admits openly, doesn't uh, even pretend to deny it. Uh, failed three drug tests, got banned for life. Uh, uh, got his life, you know, quit drugs, uh, 
got his life turned around, went dirt track racing, uh, and got in a horrific wreck so bad that his dad told me when the paramedics got to him, he was dead and the paramedics revived him. And he has since, uh, he died four more times in the hospital, uh, but has since recovered. He's paralyzed and in a wheelchair, but other than that, and he has some, uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, issues, but other than that, he, he's, you know, pretty good. You know, he would say he's in a good place. Uh, so that's one guy. Uh, the other character is named, uh, Eric Saunders and he was a, uh, hot shot motorcycle racer, uh, became a pro. Uh, his dad had been friends with Tony Stewart for years. So Tony Stewart funded all of his racing. Um, and he was going to be, he was seen as the next superstar in motocross was practicing uh, in his own backyard. Uh, don't, doesn't really know what happened only that he wiped out and, you know, basically woke up in the hospital four days later, uh, paralyzed. Hmm. Now, Eric's injuries, uh, were not nearly as bad. He would, I mean, if you can be just paralyzed, I mean, I hate to qualify it like that, but, uh, Shane, Shane was in the hospital for, for six months. Uh, and he was in a coma for a full five weeks. Right. He died and, five times. Yeah. He died five <laughs> yeah. times. So n- not that you want to, you know, characterize no. somebody who's paralyzed injuries as not so bad, but clearly they were not as bad as, as Shane's. Okay. So you take Shane, Shane Neal's dad is Steve Neal, who was crew chief for, Mark Martin and Terry Labonte and Dale Jr. And he was the first employee of Roush Racing. So he's a giant in the NASCAR industry. Eric Saunders' dad is Irish Saunders, who has worked for Hoosier Tires forever and is sort of seen as a, a talent scout. I mean, he helped, uh, he helped the careers early on of uh, Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, uh, Jeff Gordon. Everybody who's come up through dirt racing uh, knows Irish Saunders. So it's these, these two kids who were young racing stars, had tragic accidents, and then they have their dads uh, are stars. Uh, and then what, was, what, what brings them together is when Shane went dirt track racing, he leaned on Irish, who he knew from the racing community, for advice. You know, how, what, you know what's the difference between stock cars and dirt cars? Right. And they eventually became friends. And when Shane saw Irish... Shortly after Eric got hurt, Shane said to Irish, man, I, wouldn't, I don't even know what I would do if something like that happened to me. And then Irish said, well, you know, Shane, let's just hope it doesn't. And about a month later, it did. was the wreck. Right. Yeah. Okay? Uh, so now these two, these two families have these horrific things in common. And then Shane Neal became a team owner, and Eric Saunders, as part of his recovery, discovered that he could drive race cars using his hands, so now Shane owns a team and Eric is his driver. So the story is basically about how uh, the paralyzed owner and the paralyzed driver got together. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting intersection there at the end. Let me ask you a couple questions about uh, Shane first. Sure. Uh, it struck me as slightly harsh of NASCAR to banish someone um, from their sport for eternity. Um, I don't think that's really how... Uh, we look at addiction anymore. Um, I guess it's a, you know, it's a more southern conservative sport. Is this still the policy? That's a good question. Um, I'm pretty sure that it is. Uh, I mean, uh, Jeremy Mayfield is gone, and he, he's never coming back. Um, but also, I, I think there is, there's almost at this point enough of a stigma uh, that if it, if you were in the situation that Shane Meal was in 
NASCAR would not have to ban you for life because you wouldn't be able to get a job anyway. Um, gotcha. The market has changed so much. When he was coming up, Shane, and he'll tell you this, all you had to be was fast and you could, somebody would take a chance on you. Now, you, you know, having, frankly, a dad with money or a sponsor who was already in your pocket is more important than being fast. Uh, but I, I don't think Shane doesn't blame NASCAR. He's not bitter at NASCAR. And certainly in that context, I mean, he, he, he blew three tests within the span of a couple of years and there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It wasn't, it wasn't close. He had fully admits he was, he was a cokehead. I mean, he told ESPN that he did cocaine at least a hundred times. Right. So, just to have so no he, chance of rehabilitation, I think makes rehabilitation a lot harder. I mean, you can't. I, I, think, I think part forever. of that is is that the, it's the perceived danger to the participants around you. Yeah, if, I understand. If that. you are mm-hmm. if you are flung, if you are on drugs in NASCAR, that is way more dangerous than just being on drugs and playing basketball. Right, I understand that. Or playing mm-hmm. football. So. Yeah, no, I understand that, and um, I just as having worked in prevention uh, as a career for a few years. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a fair point, saying you, know, you know, just, just get lost. We, don't, we yeah. don't really care if you get better. Just don't be near us. Yeah, that's not, that's not the, the most uh, rehabilitative way to put it. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I don't know what the policy is now. That was a good, what, 10 years ago that he got kicked out. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what the policy is now, but I know it's not good. I know it's not, it's not meant to be forgiving. It, it's, meant to be, right. it's meant to be a safety issue. And it does make sense when you, when you bring up the safety issue. They do have to be stricter. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about Shane as well on the drug issue, and then we'll move on. Sure. Um, he had this horrific accident, and obviously, uh, there's a there's a little anecdote in the in the piece about him going to the grocery or the the not the grocery store, the pharmacy, and just you know just moving across the parking lot was very painful. So I assume, as anyone who's had surgery or multiple surgeries, like myself and Shane who's been through these things, you know you have to enter the world of pain medication. There's just no getting no one's tough enough to to outlast right. that pain. Has he been able to uh go through that and then come out the other side and maintain his sobriety? I know it can be difficult for people with a history of addiction and when I read about his accident the first thing I thought of was, Oh no, this poor guy's gonna have to yeah. go through this now. He's gonna get put down oxycotton or something, yeah. right? Uh so far as I know, uh you know, he's he's been clean since I think it was 2007, uh, and that, that's that's his that's his marker point where Good for him. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't been on drugs uh, since then, and you know I'm I'm sure that he's he's had pain medication, but yeah, you have uh, to. It's I, I not, didn't see any evidence. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about any kind of problem with it. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I mean, it's right. not inherently bad. You know, like it was it serves a great purpose, and anyone who's had a bad surgery. I mean, it, it's a wonder, you know, it's not just a, something that people get messed up on on the street. It's not that. So I did, you know, and I know it can, it carries a negative, a negative, uh, perception because of that. But, you know, I, I was just worried for him. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about, um, a few different sports and the way they handle disabilities. Um, and I was thinking of golf and how awful they looked and how stupid they sounded uh, with uh, this, the golfer from Stanford that they would never let ride a cart. Yeah, Casey. Yeah, and I was wondering in NASCAR, is there uh, a negative attitude towards using the hand pedals? Uh, I, don't, 
I don't think you would say there was a negative attitude towards it, but I would say that it's a disadvantage because, uh, you know, for the entire history of cars and race cars, you've controlled the speed with the pedal on the right and slowed it down with the pedal uh, next to it, right? Right. Um, and every car is fine-tuned to do that. There has been there has been one one thousandth the amount of engineering into the hand uh, hand devices, right? So so you don't you don't have the entire history of the automobile uh, on your toes. You have them at your fingers, and so they just don't work as well. I think that's safe to say. Um, but you know, so far as I know, I mean, he would if one of them wanted it. Well, I, Shane can't do it, but if Eric's career were to take off. Uh, there would be nothing stopping him from going NASCAR racing. I mean, especially considering who his dad was, he'd be welcome with open arms. That's really good because, you know, sometimes, you know, like I thought of the golf example right away, yeah. you know, people just, for whatever reason, can be can be that, that way about this. But, yeah, it's a really great piece, really interesting. It's going to run on NASCAR.com uh, this week. You can go there and check it out. Um, does NASCAR.com, do they do a lot of pieces like this, a lot of feature work? Have they... Uh, kind of took the initiative to have more long-form pieces on their site because, I mean, it's a great way to to develop the human interest and to learn more about even the the not necessarily the main the main you know stock car racing league, but even you know the different kinds of racing and the crossovers and seem like a good way to promote the sport in general. Yep, yeah, that's uh, kind of my my charge in writing for them is I'm going to be finding. Uh, and examining issues that, you know, sort of, you know, transcend Sunday afternoon between one and four, you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, look, you know, I, I, I've got, I've already read one other piece for them. And this one, and then we're talking about this one. I've got a, a third in the works that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so yeah, they're definitely making a push to have more in-depth, uh, you know, featurey type stuff. And, and I'll be, I'll be do, taking care of that for them. Yeah. It's such a small, world the racing world we we say this about hockey all the time too about how intertwined everything is and it's obvious in this piece uh when you talk about all the crossover and people knowing oh, yeah. each other uh so i assume that have you gotten a lot of feedback from the nascar community maybe really enjoying these pieces and liking the chance for longer form stories to be told about their sport that maybe they felt weren't told as often as maybe some in other sports Oh yeah, I would definitely think that's true. That anytime, anytime you can write about stuff that isn't, you know, finding out what happened yesterday and putting it in the paper today. Well, I guess that's an old model. Finding out what happened five minutes ago and putting it on Twitter five minutes from now. Anytime you can sort of sit down with a piece and think about it and explain it in a way that that, that is out. You know, they call it the bubble. You know, the, the traveling NASCAR bubble. Whenever you can tell a story that's inside the, you know, that takes place inside the bubble, but it's from a perspective of outside the bubble, I think people really appreciate that. It just, it just gives a whole different context to the sport that isn't quite so focused on the day-to-day machinations of it. Yeah. I would think before you know it, you're going to be getting more pitches than searching out stories. You know, that people are going to be like, oh, what about, did you hear about this or did you hear about that? You know what? Uh, I, I hope you're right. Uh, but I, my suspicion is from years of covering this sport, People are shy. People who, you, no, no, no. People aren't shy. It's that the the people who sh- who could be making those pitches are so busy with the day to day stuff that they simply don't have time to pitch it, and uh, that that's too bad. But that's frankly that's that's my job. You know, I can I, I've 
I can come up with ideas. I just need to find people to agree to do them. Right. Speaking of day-to-day stuff, what has the day-to-day stuff been like with uh, Jeff Gordon in the, the TV booth and not in the car this year? I think it's. Been, I think he's been great, don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, I, I, I watched Daytona, really enjoyed him, saw him a little bit more. Yeah, I think he's doing great. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, every time him and DW, you know, show even a hint of disagreement, Twitter explodes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. I think, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know that he's come down hard on anybody yet, but I don't think he's been pussyfooting around either. I think he's been great. I think he's had great perspective and, I mean, he's Jeff Gordon. So whatever he says, you're going to, you're going to believe that it has validity. And the fact that he was racing and not just racing, but for a championship uh, in the last race of last season, I think that just makes the broadcast that I just think that makes the broadcast great. Yeah. What drama to go into his last race. I was pulling for him that day for sure, but yeah, the whole whole world was, yeah, but he, you know, in the end, he's got plenty of championships and wins and he, he didn't need that one necessarily. It would have been a great story, but I didn't feel bad for him too long. He didn't necessarily. Yeah, it's not like he blew his career. Right, you know right, I mean? right. It's, it's not like that was his only chance to win a championship. Didn't destroy his legacy or anything. Yeah. Uh, the sports guests are here with Matt Cross, and we're talking about a piece that he wrote uh, for NASCAR.com. It's going to go out this week. I read something uh, a few months ago. Uh, you did a piece. You uh, you were interviewed um, for this piece kind of about the life of a freelance writer. and mm-hmm. you, you talked a lot about the, the business aspect, becoming a businessman, um, taking control of your career that way and searching out the different stories. How do you get hooked up with something like the magazine and Southwest Airlines? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, and that actually, uh, that came straight out of that business stuff that I was talking about, where uh, when I lost my job at the Sporting News, which was almost exactly three years ago, by the way, it was three years wow. in a couple of days, uh, I knew, I felt like I knew how to write a story, uh, but I didn't have the slightest idea how to run a business. And a couple of things happened. The first thing was, and this is going to sound like total name dropping, but uh, I had written a lot about Duke football. So I got to know David Cutcliffe pretty good. And the first time I saw him, so one of the first things I did after I got laid off, I was trying to think it was during bowl season. So it was, it was quite a while after I got laid off when I was still trying to figure it out. I thought, I wonder if somebody will let me follow them around for bowl season. That's an easy story. Every, you know, a lot of sports publications will want that. I know the guys at Duke well enough that I'm pretty sure they'll say yes. So I asked and they said yes. So I, I walk up and I say hi to, to, to Coach Cutcliffe. And the first thing he says to me is, you need to think of yourself as a small businessman because that's what you are. Like, he wasn't like in my face, but he like said it in such a way that I still remember it three years later. And that was really a transformative idea for me that I'm not just going store to sto- story by story. Uh, I'm running a small business. And so I targeted airline magazines as part of my small business. I thought that's a good market. People read them. They pay good. So I pitched Southwest Magazine uh, a story, which they liked the idea, but they said no. And then uh, I turned around and sold it to American Airlines, which I just I felt like a, the king of the world when they said yes. I was like, well, heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then Southwest called me and said, well, you know, I know we didn't want that story, but would you like to go hiking in the mountains uh, for this camp, hiking in the Rockies for a week with this camp for kids whose dads died in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was like, are you, are you serious? Is this, is this a prank call? Uh, because first of all, uh, I wanted to write for that magazine. Second of all, hiking is, is my hobby. Uh, I'm very passionate about it. And third, you know, from a journalistic standpoint, 
that's a great story. I mean, these right. I was with eight, 13 and 14 year olds whose dads died in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's, that, that's a story no matter what. So basically just, you know, by, you know, some hard work and also luck, I turned in stories within a couple of weeks of each other, one for American Airlines, which I already ran, and one for Southwest, which is what we're talking about now. So, yeah, the Southwest yeah, that was, that story. Was very, it was intentional and lucky at the same time. The Southwest story is great art, too. I mean, really good pictures, and yeah. you can just tell it really comes to life. And I looked over it a bit. You want to give a quick overview of this one as well? Yeah, the, the camp is called uh, Knights of Heroes, and it was founded in honor of a guy. His name was Troy Gilbert, but everyone called him Trojan. He was uh, an Air Force pilot who died uh, near Baghdad um, during a battle. I'm pretty sure he was the first uh, pilot to die in the war in Iraq. And uh, he had five kids, and at his funeral, a a fellow pilot named Steve Harold, who also has a bunch of kids, was looking at Trojan's uh, kids who were now orphans, and his heart was just broken, thinking, these kids, they, they don't have a dad to take them hunting or fishing or camping. And he couldn't stop thinking about that. So uh, he decided to do something about it. And he, so he started this camp called Knights of Heroes. And what it is, is it's a week every summer where uh, kids whose dads, it's not necessarily Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the, sort of the easy way to say it. But it's, it's probably more accurate to say kids whose dads died in military service because they weren't all in Iraq and Afghanistan boys and girls although they're separate separated because they're they're kids and yeah they, they go up into the rockies for a week and kind of depending on your age you either go mountain biking you know fishing whitewater rack, rafting rock climbing uh you know rope courses or you can do what the group i did and we went on a, a three-day monster hike uh in the rockies and it was just i mean it was incredible yeah it looks beautiful the setting looks amazing just, Breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there, there was about a hundred times where I thought to my, I thought to myself, I, I, I can't believe people asked me to, that they called me out of the blue and asked me to do this and said they would pay me to do it. Uh, yeah, it's just it's unbelievably beautiful. You know, I'm a big fan of the show The Wire, and um, I'm such a big fan that I've went through the series probably four or five times. But every time I get to season four. I stop for a minute or two and think, do I really want to do this? Because as great as it is, season four is about kids. And they they nail it. And it's really real and raw. And it's hard to watch at times uh, because it's about the kids. And, you know, parts of both of your stories are really hard to read in the sense that it was just sad. And I felt compassion for the people in the stories. I was wondering for you as a writer... Did the Southwest was the Southwest piece any harder because we were, you were dealing with children? Uh, yes, well, uh, that's a great question, without without a doubt. Um, so we had this. Uh, first of all, I will say it was the when I got done with the hike. We, so we, we hiked for three days, and then we mountain biked for a day, and then we had a day kind of with uh, very little to do. And on that day, that so that would have been like Friday. We hiked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We went mountain biking on Thursday. And then Friday, we kind of had nothing to do. On Friday, I was so physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted, I could hardly move. I mean, I, I, this is the only time this has ever happened in my entire career. I wanted to go home. <laughs> and I, if there would have been a way for me to leave and go home, just because I, I couldn't, it was like, I can't, I can't have one more conversation with one more kid because I'm just going to start bawling. Um, and the, the, 
that was because of the, the sort of the collectivity of getting to know all these kids and, you know, how sad it all is. But also there's, there's a lot of beauty in there that there was probably 50 men who, mostly Air Force pilots, who just give up, a to- give up all of their time for a week and plus a lot during the, you know, during the, the rest of the year to, you know, to mentor these kids, to be as much of a father figure as they possibly can. I, you know, I, it left me speechless. I, I was so, I could barely write it. Um, we had, we had a, the, the hardest part was we had a, a campfire, like a round table campfire conversation, uh, after, you know, we had to have two kids evacuated off of the top of the mountain because they couldn't stop throwing up. Mm-hmm. We had hiked, I don't know how many miles ascended and descended. I don't know how many feet. So we were all really physically tired. And then around the campfire, these kids just opened up about their dads and life without their dads. And, you know, then they all just went to bed, like, because that, that's their lives. It isn't even, like, amazing to them. Yep. And They're I so resilient. Watching the fire dwindle, and I couldn't, I could hardly get up and go to bed. I was so absolutely exhausted that I can't, there's no other word. Emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I was dead, dead tired. Yeah, kids will always amaze you at the resiliency because yeah, that, yep. it's, it's, um, it's a quality of children that is almost foreign to adults because we're not nearly as resilient as they are, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's, it's not even close. You're, you're 100% right. Uh, this words gets to here with Matt Crossman, who has two pieces promoting today. One, uh, we'll run on NASCAR.com. You can check that out. We talked about it at the top of the top of the interview. And then, of course, if you're flying on Southwest.com, can you get this magazine if you're not flying on Southwest? It will be. It's not online yet. I believe it's going to go online Friday because it's the April issue. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't. That's a good question. I don't think you can just buy it, but I'm going to, as you might suspect, I will tweet the heck out of it. Uh, and it, so it'll be at Southwest Airlines Magazine's uh, website. So it'll be like a flipbook type deal. Yeah, you can follow Matt on Twitter. He's at Matt Crossman underscore, and you can follow him for links to these stories. We'll link to them as well. And also you can follow him for fun with power rankings as he's kind of developed a little bit of a gimmick on the Twitter, which is great if you can do it, and his is power rankings. And just for a little fun at the end here, uh, we prepared some. So would you? did you – I sent you some lists, some potential list ideas. And you were going to maybe do one or two of those. And then you asked me to prepare some topic ideas for you to do a speed round. So what would you like to do first? Uh, let's do the ones we've already prepared. Okay. So you lead me off. I got all of them. I did all of them. So okay. you tell me what you did and you give me your list and I'll give you mine. Well, I've got, uh, let's do, uh, what was it, non-Christmas holidays? Yes, holidays that are not Christmas, which is obviously number one. So Okay. Well, I think Easter has to. Now, you know, part of power rankings is there has to be at least one that makes some kind of sense. They can't all be gibberish. My, <laughs> my goal with power rankings is to be as dumb as possible. That, that's my stated goal uh, because I think people get so heated they and do. so histrionic about so much dumb stuff on Twitter that this is my goal to point out the lunacy of that. That's the whole reason power rankings is, exist. Yeah, you usually have like a 9,000th place as well. You'll throw right. in occasionally, right. yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. So, so number one for non-Christmas holidays has to be Easter. Uh, I mean, frankly, Easter was you know this week, so uh, it's more appropriate. But I'm a Christian, so I got to say Easter is number one. Uh, number two is opening day, and I don't I don't think there's really any argument about that. Uh, three would be the Fourth of July, and you know one of the one of the best parts about Twitter is I don't have to explain my rankings, but nope. I try to explain them at least a little. <laughs> uh, 
the little town that I grew up in in Michigan, in the suburbs of Detroit, it's called Clawson, has like the biggest Fourth of July celebration. It's like 10 times the size of the, the town. You know, that celebration is 10 times bigger than you would expect from the size of the town. I read once that the, it has the biggest fireworks display outside of Detroit in the entire state. So Fourth of July is always very big for me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not like massively patriotic, but I do like the Fourth of July. Um, Thanksgiving for Turkey. Uh, and then I would say Memorial Day, and I'll probably have Labor Day way down at the bottom <laughs> because it heralds the end of the summer. <laughs> That's funny. My number one is Labor Day. Uh what are you talking about? That's stupid. I hate summer. Um, I can't wait for summer to end. Also, I love football, especially Saints football. It's my number one passion. Uh, that means it's time for that. And I was born on Labor Day, so it always meant my birthday oh, as okay, well. Okay, well, fine. All right. So uh, you, you should have led. You should have led with that. But you hate. <laughs> If you hate summer, there, there's something wrong with you. I hate hot I mean, weather. I, I think that's pretty clear. I hate hot weather. Summer in Buffalo, in Buffalo sucks. You don't even know hot weather. Yes, we know hot weather, and it sucks here because hot weather here is this awful, damp, humid, uncomfortable, miserable experience. Oh, my silly northern friend. So Come, come down to Charlotte, or I lived in St. Louis for a long time. I, when I lived in Michigan, I thought it was hot and humid in the summer, and then I moved to St. Louis, and then I moved to Charlotte. And I miss the summers in Michigan. Well, I would never live in those places because I hate the heat. Uh, number two, I have Memorial Day. Um, it's just I didn't have a great reason, but I don't like a lot of holidays. Three, I had Thanksgiving, I, which is, I guess. And four was Fourth of July. And then way down, whatever the last place is, would be New Year's Eve. It's force, Oh, good call. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, force fun. I hate am- it. Amateur yeah, hour. Yeah, it's right? awful. So yeah. that was, that's my list for non-Christmas holidays. So obviously yeah. Christmas would be number one, but um, all right, you got. Did you do a second one? You want to do? Uh, I've, I've power ranked rush uh, rush songs before, but I'm I'm always up for a. Uh, okay, I got mine ready. For that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, first of all, uh, Tom Sawyer is not on the list. Uh, no, nope, me neither. It's not. It's not the worst rush song, but it's nope. not in the it's not in the top twenty probably. Great drums. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Natural Science. I would put that number one. And then twenty one twelve would be number two, and free will free will would be number three. Although you know sometimes I argue with myself with that and spirit of radio, uh, and then I'm a big fan of circumstances too. So I think those would be my top four. And then I would put if I was doing this on Twitter, I would put Tom Sawyer at like nine thousand four hundred and twenty two just to annoy people. <laughs> uh, but it's a little bit like you know being a Zeppelin fan and saying Stairway to Heaven is your favorite song. Well, right. You know, you well, be a little more creative than that. I also have a permanent wave song at number one. I have, and I I don't speak Spanish, but uh, I have Entre Naus, which I think is the correct pronunciation. It's French, Chuck. I know it's a joke. Uh, I have Ooh, that right over my head. <laughs> Entre Naus. I yeah, have I that. For it. I have that number one. I have Closer to the Heart number two. Um, I have Subdivisions number three. Far Cry number four, which I think is by far the best Rush song um, in the 21st century. Wait, well, Oh, in the 21st century. Okay. And I have number five as the Necromancer, which is my favorite epic multi-layered Rush song from Cressa Steel. <laughs> so I have uh, three from the 80s, one from the 70s, and one from the 2000s. Nice. That's not a terrible list, but whatever. <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed the uh, R40 show, and I know they're going to do more shows. 
Um, you think? We might never get a tour like that again, but, you know, they're going to do more shows. I mean, it's not <laughs> like they're never going like to... Like, I think in one of the... In the documentary, I think someone said... I think it might have been... Uh, Daniel said this. He's like, you don't work that hard to be the best in the world at something and then just never do it again. You know what, though? I almost kind of wish they wouldn't play another show. Really? Uh, you think that whatever the last show was in L.A. should serve as the last show? That whole tour was such an... I, I thought, at least. I saw them in, in North Carolina, and I saw every tour since Presto. Yeah, this I've seen everyone since Tess for Echo. Or no, okay. uh, uh, Counterparts. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you said you've seen everyone since Counterparts? Yeah, so one saying? less than you. One tour okay. less than you. Yep. And I, I think this one was the best by far. It was a, I think it was a mic drop. It was John Elway winning back-to-back Super Bowls and then retiring only if John Elway had, had been like 1990 John Elway instead of 2000 and whatever it was. Uh, I guess it was still the late 90s. If it would have been John Elway at his absolute peak and then quitting. It's like it was, it's Ted Williams 1941 hitting 407 and then stopping. Uh, that's how good I thought it was. And if so, if you come back, you're only going to diminish how great that last one was. Yeah, I I think Snakes and Arrows was my favorite, um, but I love the album Snakes and Arrows, and I also love the set list. They played my number one song for the first time ever on that tour. Um, they played Circumstances on that tour. Um, I just really loved the, the songs on that show. Um, but this yeah. was no worse than second. I mean, I loved it just as much as you did. Um, and I was really close to going to one of the Toronto ones, but um, something came up. I was going to go to a second. But, uh, no, it was great. Um, but I think they're so great that they're always – It's they're never going to – they never put themselves in a position to be average. So, like, even if they committed to something – they tried to do it and they just didn't think it was there. I think they'd back out anyway, or they wouldn't put themselves in that position to begin with. And I just think they're too young. Um, something's going to come up, be important enough, mean enough to them. Um, it, Alex Lyson talks out, out of both sides of his mouth because he said they'd never want to do a residency. But then he's like, but maybe we'd set up in New York or something and do like four or five shows, which is, in fact, a residency. He thinks <laughs> he thinks residencies are just right. in Vegas because he he's like, ah, we would never do like a residency in Vegas. That's not fun to us. You know, but maybe we'd set up in New York and do like a week of shows, which would be, of course, a residency. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but um, no, the, the last show was great. We talked. I talked about it on the, the only the only thing that bummed me out about it. Um, the only thing I didn't like was the way that they went backwards, which I thought was a great idea. The problem with it was that so many people, for whatever reason, just like can't listen to music after a certain point in their life. So, you know, 60% of the crowd sat on their elbows until Animate or, you know, whatever was the first song they knew. You know what? I'm going to confess to uh, to to being one of those people. Yeah, I don't that... get that. I don't understand why people think like there's this magical cutoff and Rush hasn't made a good song since. I don't. No, no, no. That that's that's I don't not understand it. it. It's not that they haven't made a good song. Mm. It's that uh, I'm 44 years old. I've got two kids. I haven't bought a new. Uh, I was going to say record. I haven't bought a new CD. Nobody buys whatever whatever the format of music it is that people buy these days. I haven't done that in probably 10 years. And so whatever the first couple of songs were, I didn't know them. 
and uh, I am habitual of not finding out what the set list is. So I didn't realize that they were starting at the beginning and or starting at the end and playing backwards to the beginning. So the first three songs, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, God, when are they going to play something I know? Uh, so that's why. Yeah. Because they opened with three. I mean, if those three had been sprinkled throughout, I wouldn't have cared. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, I I really liked, like, you know, I don't know. My dad had three kids, and we still drove around in the car all the time, and we listened to music when we did. Um, and I mean, I don't have kids yet. I'm going to have one soon, but I like to think that I still put my headphones on once in a while. I listen to stuff. So I don't know. And I mean, it's even easier now. Me and my brothers split this $15 monthly subscription to Apple music. And I have like a jukebox in my pocket <laughs> wherever I am. So I don't know, but I like the last few albums. I, I love snake and arrows. I think it's in my top three rush albums. Um, but you've probably never heard it, I guess, so we can't talk about it. No, no, I, I've heard Snake. That was the last one that I bought, Snake okay. and Girls. Well, then you're only one behind. Yeah. Right? There's only been one since then. Yeah, there's only been one since then, yeah. All uh, right, speed, power rankings, and then we got to let you go. I made okay. five categories. I will give them to you, and you can pick one or two and do one that sticks out to you as one okay. you'd like to give a speed power rankings to. All right, so I have books about baseball, nonfiction. Uh, video game franchises, best picture winners, television sitcoms, and 1990s rock bands. Okay, the only one I'm qualified to do would be sitcoms. Uh, my 1990s rock, rock bands would end at about 1994. Uh, well, oh, all the boy, good ones. I, are... I, I could do embarrassingly bad rock bands that I saw in concert. That you know, that way I would never be able to show my face again. Um <laughs> It's your show. You do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, sitcoms. Uh, did you say 1990s sitcoms? No, I just opened it up to television sitcoms, so that would... Okay. Well, the, the, the best one, and I will hear no argument, uh, is 30 Rock. There is nothing... Uh, <laughs> there's nothing that, frankly, that... There's no show that I've ever thought was funnier. Um, so that, that would be number one by far and away. Um, you know, I, I like Seinfeld a lot. Uh, certainly in, in terms of a, a, you know, the cultural importance of it and, you know, the, the world at large, you know, it's hard to argue with that being the best and the most important. I just think 30 Rock was funnier. Okay, what's a terrible one that I, oh, Saved by the Bell, absolutely top three, no question. Um, I could do a power ranking of Saved by the Bell episodes if you gave me a minute. Um, you know, there was one... Uh, there was one called, I think it was called It's Your Move with Jason Bateman. I think it only lasted one season, but for some reason, I thought that show was hilarious. Uh, you know, Friends would be maybe 26. Uh, what's the worst? There's no point in ranking a bad one. There's, a, there's bad. a lot of bad ones. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bad ones. Yeah. Uh, in order for it to be worth ranking really low, it has to. Some people have to actually like it. Um, yeah. See, I would put if I was on your Twitter, I would rank Friends really low because I just didn't get it. So, you know, that would be the one I would kind of poke people with. Yeah, I, I, I think I think twenty six so. makes that point, but I don't actually hate it enough to uh, to give it a super bad rating. Oh, you know what? What was the what was the Ray Romano one? That one's terrible. Everyone that's loves Raymond. That's horrible. 
What's that? Everyone loves Raymond. Yeah, no, I, I no, not everyone does. So that would be <laughs> that would be number like four thousand one hundred and twenty-six. Yeah, I think my uh, my number one would be Seinfeld. My number two would be Sanford and Son. Oh, nice! I like that. Good call. I have all the seasons of that. It's so funny. Red Fox what? is a genius. You have all the seasons of Sanford and Son. Yeah, someone bought it for me for Christmas. Was it like meant to be ironic, or was it because you like it? They knew I liked it, so I think they were struggling for an I, idea. How, how did how did you come about this obsession with Sanford and Son? Um, I think I used to when I was younger. I'm always been a night person, you know. So I I would sleep in and stay up late. Um, and uh, so I would watch a lot of TV that was on rerun, you know, because I like especially in the summers I'd stay up all night. Right. So because you hate because you hate the heat so much, you had to stay inside and cool that's off. That's right. right. No, I I hate the heat. <laughs> I hate summer. I stay in the air conditioning all summer. I hate it. So so you're telling me if you did a if you did a a season power rankings, summer would be dead last. What would be first? Oh, fall. Absolutely fall. Fall is everything I love. Mild weather, great holidays, baseball playoffs, football starts, hockey starts. Definitely fall by a mile. Huh. And then, and then I guess probably winter, so it has Christmas, which is my probably one of my favorite things of the year. And then probably three would be spring, although I'm somewhat indifferent to spring. And then you know that last would be summer. You're indifferent to spring. What do you What do you think about puppies? Oh, I love my puppy. I love my dog. Well, he's four now. He's not really a puppy. But what about what about slow dancing and first kisses? Slow dancing, I take a mostly a pass on. I was always nervous I might pop a rod and embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wow, first kisses. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I've been with the same girl for like since 1999, so I don't even remember a first kiss at this point. Yeah, you, you, you just dropped a bomb here about a, a kid on the way. Is that like public Oh, yeah, knowledge? yeah, it's it's pretty much public knowledge. Yeah, she's due in uh, June. It's a girl. Holy crap, man. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah That's thank awesome. you. Yeah, we're going to be – we're one and done, so we're excited. We're going to be real excited about this one, and that's it. Well, I can tell you what. In, in terms of life experiences, uh, witnessing the birth of ch- my children would be uh, one and two. Yeah. And they would probably – they're probably tied. Well, no, I, I, no, that's not true. The second one was so dramatic that that would be first. But the, uh, yeah, those are the first two, and then there's kind of no, and then they, it's less than that after that. Well, listen, I want you to you the listener to read Matt's stories. You can find the NASCAR one on NASCAR.com, which is very easy, and we're going to link uh, to Southwest, and Matt will also link to them on Twitter at Matt Crossman underscore. And it was fun catching up and talking power rankings and stories and children and all those great things. And my hate, <laughs> my hate for summer uh, with you. That's I have, what I love about being on your podcast is you never know what the hell we're going to talk about. That's right. That's right. Who knows what the topic was supposed to be? We we <laughs> we stopped the supposed topics twenty five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll do it yeah, again great. soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, I want to thank Matt Crossman and Ryan Aber for being on the podcast today. Uh, don't forget you can hear this week's podcast, the podcast from before Easter break with Tim 
Kaon and Kevin Armstrong. I forgot how I'm supposed to say Tim's name now over the last couple of weeks. Remember, I had to ask him. Yeah. It was, I definitely I think just said it wrong. I think it almost Q-in. sounds like a Kewen. Kewen. Q-in. That's right. Tim Kewen and Kevin Armstrong were on our podcast two weeks ago. Uh, next week, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Abrams will be on the show and the masked man uh, returning from WrestleMania will be on. So two former Grantland guys on the podcast next week. You can find all of our podcasts at www.sports-casters.com. Uh, you can also find our podcast on Stitcher, on iTunes, and I recently downloaded a new app. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to tell people how they can find us on there uh, real easily because I know this is a popular app. It's called Pod. I use Pod Kicker. Pod Bean. Pod Bean. Yeah, and if you use Pod Bean, like a oh bean, yeah, like a jelly bean. Yeah, all you need to do is you can just type in our. You can add URL okay. and you just type sure. in our yeah. sports-casters.com and it come up. Uh, real easy there. So you can hear us on there as well. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Don is at Don Lake Sports. And you can email us anytime the sportscasters at gmail.com. And I do have a copy of uh, Boys Among Men to give away. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can hit me up on the email. All right. One last thing for me this week. I know I've talked about uh, being a Walking Dead fan before. I'm not a crazy fan or anything like that. It'd probably be somewhere outside my top five series of all time or maybe at the lower half of it. But I kind of got into a little bit of spoilers, and this is kind of a two-part thing. One, apparently there's a, there's a very famous scene, if you've read the comic book, that's going to be coming up in the last episode that they've kind of been hinting at all year, and this coming Sunday is the season finale. Uh, people, apparently it got spoiled a little bit because somebody saw the taping and recorded the taping. Like, I, I didn't see that, but anyway... I'm hoping this all turns out to be an April Fool's joke and it really wasn't spoiled and somehow AMC did this on purpose or whatever to be uh, to Send give some misdirection. Yeah, yeah kind of like recording two endings to a show or whatever. But uh, I'm going to be bummed about this. I'm kind of like dreading the – like people die all the time on this show. People die all the time in the comic. And the scene in the comic is 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 brutal. And it's coming up to this point and I was – reading these spoilers about it and I try not to get spoiled, but I figured I already knew this one from the comic book, but, uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Like I'm looking forward to the show itself, but I think the scene's going to be uncomfortable to watch. I think every great show has those moments. Yeah. You know what? I I just rewatched the wire. Uh, I did it for about a month. I rewatched all five seasons, which I've almost never done because I hate season five. So I almost never watched that. Oh really? Uh, but there's like four or five moments over the course of that series that it's painful to watch them. Yeah. And when you know they're coming, you just start to squirm a little. And I think every good show has those moments. Sopranos certainly had them. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think. Breaking Bad's the one show that since like binge-watching has become a thing. Breaking Bad's the one great show that I binge-watched. Because I watched The Sopranos, but I, I kind of did that more the traditional way. I binge-watched a few seasons, but toward the end I had to wait a week for everything. Right. We would get you them mailed to us in college for the one season, remember? Right, right. Someone would tape them on HBO and mail them snail mail to us. Okay, there's a massive spoiler here, so go ahead like 30 oh. seconds if you don't want to spoil Breaking Bad. but uh, Yeah, it's too late for that. Yeah. Give me a break. You knew Walt was going to die at the end of that. Even having no spoilers, you just knew it was coming. So for that, 
it was just kind of like, how is it going to happen? He, he kind of die, he dies, but he kind of wins too at the end. So it's that's not brutal, but like, what's going to come up in in The Walking Dead is going to be brutal. And for people that are super fans of the shows and super invested in individual characters, I think it's going to be rough to watch. Michelle Be- Michelle Beetle made a good point about spoilers, and she used uh, the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones as an example. Yeah, everyone. Uh, you know that happened in the Twitter era, and was so well done and so shocking that pretty much everyone, whether you watch the show or not, knew Heard something the called Wedding. the Red Wedding yeah. happened. Uh, and Michelle Beadle, who hadn't watched Game of Thrones, went and watched the scene totally out of context. Okay, she wanted to know what the Red Wedding was. Okay, then she decided to watch Game of Thrones. Now, obviously, she has already spoiled. Everything that happens in the Red Wedding season, yeah. scene. But she said it didn't make me enjoy it any less. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think people are overrate spoilers a little bit. Uh, I, I've talked about my wife picked up Walking Dead this last season, and I said, I'll watch it over again with you if you want, but you're going to like kind of know what's going on when you're like, hey, this character's on the show all the time, and they're not in the current season, so you're going to know who's going to die. Like, I, like you said, I don't. Think it would make you enjoy it less if someone. If I said to someone, "Hey, you're gonna enjoy The Wire season one." There's a really cool part where Kima Greggs gets shot. Okay, you know Kima Greggs gets shot, but so what? Who knows when Kima Greggs gonna get shot? Yeah, and I think I mean we can give. Like, what do you think is uh, what's fair play for spoilers? When should you not just openly talk? about uh, it? I think anything that happened more than a year ago is completely a year, fair okay. play. So you're saying outside? I mean, of a that's season. super extreme. Sure. If I'm watching The Walking Dead... I think you, everyone has a year to catch up. And wa- then it's completely... You don't even have to say spoiler alert. I watch everything on delay because I just prefer yeah, it. Yeah, you have one year. Uh, I won't go on the internet. Like I'll stay off Twitter. I'll stay off Facebook. And that's only for a show that happened an hour ago. So I just think... I think it's too hard to, to not have things spoiled. All right. One last thing for me today. Uh, last night was uh, the Mike and the Mad Dog reunion. Um, and it was awesome. Uh, it was. It's available on demand if you have Sirius. Uh, it's available on demand there. Did they sign, like record it? Yeah, too? it was. I mean, um, video, it was video? on TV okay. on MSG Plus, uh, which for whatever reason I have that through the Sports Pack and Direct TV. Okay. Um, it was also aired on the Fan in New York, and also aired on Sirius across the country. Um, and it was live at Radio City Music Hall. On oh, man, was it cool? They, the classic like Mac, Mike and the Mad Dog theme was playing, and they kind of ra- were coming up from the ground on a stu- on a stage that raised <laughs> up with uh, the Mad Dog going crazy, doing the classic open to the show, the Good Afternoon Everybody, and um, they got a huge, huge pop. I mean, it was a hot, hot crowd. Really? I mean, it was like a wrestling atmosphere. I I am crowd. well aware of them, but I I don't know the theme like i don't it's the best sports radio show of all time um and for them to be gone for eight years and to be able to raise over a million dollars for the garden of dreams foundation oh wow well over a million dollars that doesn't even count what they raised during the show and you could it was one of those things where you could text a number and oh, it would, would be like a ten dollar donation 10 bucks, yeah. yeah so who knows what they raised during the show but going into it just through ticket sales and other auctions and things like that they had raised already $1.4 million and just a huge reaction. Um, 
just like wow i was just in awe of them what is what is mike is still in the same time slot mike left uh mad dog left the show to go to Sirius. Oh, i'm sorry chris is in the same no mad dog chris russo okay mike no that's what i, mike I, I was is right still the first time. There. mike is on yep. the time slot chris is the one that left yep he does a show that he calls mike up on the fan now oh okay How in there's yeah, it's fine. It's, fine. it's still an example of the sum being – they're an example of the sum being greater than the parts. Gotcha. You know, Mike and the Mad Dog is always going to be better than Mike alone or oh, Mad Dog alone, but that doesn't mean that you can't get some decent radio. So people probably liked – like when I listened to Opie and Anthony, I probably liked Anthony better humor-wise. But toward the end and now he's on his own show, it seems all political and – can be too political. Yeah, at times, that so. stuff I don't like. But everything this year is too political. Well, sure. You know what I mean. Well, my, is, my point is, but that's no, you're right. Example yeah. of I might have a favorite, but they were better. Together. Absolutely. Okay. That's a classic example. I get that. Uh, Opie and Anthony with Jim Norton is always going to be better than any of them away from each other. Right. Um, and the Mike and the Mad Dog is an example of that. But uh, one question was, and of course they're both kind of coming to the end of current contracts. Uh, would there ever be a, a, a some form of the Mike and Mad Dog show again. And Mike said, never say never. And I think when people sit back and see the reaction, they're going to find a way to pay these guys to do something somewhere. It might never be five days at five hours a clip again, uh, but maybe a weekly podcast or... What is Mike doing now? Mike is still in the... But I mean, how many hours is he doing? He does five one to five, five days a week. So he's essentially doing he's the exact... Th- he's on... He's, in contract for one more year after this one. Is it known why they broke up? Uh, yeah, because uh, Chris got a better job team. at Sirius. Okay. Yeah. So he just left and took the money at Sirius. Gotcha. And I think with anyone who takes the money at Sirius, you lose some of your relevance. For sure. You know, because it's not as big of an audience. Right. It's a, it's a different audience. guy, a radio guy of all time, but he was bigger when he was doing Absolutely. FM radio. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um. Anything that's free is always going to be bigger than something that needs to be paid for. Sure. So, but um, no, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward because it was an incredible spectacle last night. And for those guys, after eight years, to be able to basically demand a $1.4 million gate, which is essentially what the pre-sale of the show was, uh, not to mention what they may have uh, raised last night. I mean, it's just an incredible testament to what, the radio show meant to people and still means to people. 